Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So, I think the fifth round, which is what we're going to be talking about on today's show, I think this is probably going to be the last round where we really just focus on the kind of winners and losers from it. I don't know that that makes sense going forward. And, you know, I'd love to keep doing these types of shows. They get good traction on whatever pod channels they're going out on, YouTube, whatever. I just don't know if it makes sense. Because, like, looking ahead a tiny bit, and we will talk about some of these players in the, the sixth round range, and but just looking at them, like, Zion, Josh Giddy, Derek White, and then it stretches all the way to Jeremy Grant, Clint Capella at the end of it. I don't think we need to be confined by round-to-round stuff. It feels to me, and maybe I'm off base, but you know what? I'm controlling what goes out on this feed, so screw you! (laughs) No, I just... uh, It feels to me like... And we could even make the argument that it's happening already, but starting certainly in the next round, it's not round-by-round anymore. You can take someone... You can take the player with an ADP of 61 put him up against the player of an ADP of 72 and there really isn't like an advantage to being at the front of the back end of that round. In fact, if you were going to look at what comes next, I might want to just compare like players 61 through 90. It's not a round anymore. It's a who are the guys to target in this range. So that's probably the direction we'll start going. In addition to a few other things that we've got coming up on the show. Um, first things first, hi everyone, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, this is a Sports Ethos presentation and I'm your host, Dan Bespris. Today, you can find me on Twitter by the way, at Dan Bespris, that's not today, that's all the time. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, please do drop a follow over on social media, I do a lot of activity over there and I hope you guys will hang out with me there as well. Of course, like, subscribe, all that good stuff, you guys know the, the drill here on, uh, the pod and the YouTubes and all that good stuff. Um, want to give everybody just a quick overview of what we're doing. First of all, this is simulcast on YouTube, so if you're watching with us either live or after the fact, just understand you're basically watching a recorded podcast, but also you just get to see me do it. And I'm trying to throw a couple little visual aids on the board. Um, oh, this one's kind of a kind of a dual action one. This this the the fifth round or the whatever the round by round steals and busts thing is kind of a kind of a both channels deal. Um, but this one, this particular episode, I had a couple things I wanted to talk about at the front end of the show. Let's get into the, the, the fifth round stuff a little bit, and then I'll loop back around. I do want to let everybody know kind of what's, what's coming up on this podcast feed over the next little, uh, few days. So, um, on your screen right now, you're actually seeing the wrong players because I had flipped forward just to sort of make a point about 
what's coming next. Now on your screen, you're seeing players 49 through 60. We've been talking about them on this show over the last two to three episodes. I think it was about two episodes we knocked them out. Those players are lined up in order, by the way, of how Yahoo pre-ranks them. And this is a little bit different than what we talked about on the show the last couple of days because we were going by ADP for those shows. This is Yahoo's pre-rank. So this is very site-specific. Jordan Poole, Zach Levine, Scotty Barnes, DeAndre Ayton, Chet Holmgren, Jared Allen is the front six. The back six, Julius Randle, Nick Claxton, Tyrese Maxey, Bradley Beal, Jalen Williams, Alperin Shengun. Those are your 12 players on the Yahoo pre-rank board, as it stands right now at least, going in the fifth round. I want to start with my dislikes and kind of get them out of the way. Let's let's get the hate out, and then we can focus a bit on everything else. Uh, we'll talk about the, the players we do like, and then we'll flip over to ESPN and see if there's any parallel there. So here's the players I don't like on Yahoo. In no particular order. In fact, we'll just start, we'll work our way down the board. Players that I don't like going in the fifth round on the Yahoo board right now. First one of those guys is Scotty Barnes, who, you know, maybe this is the year that he takes a big leap forward, but he was number 85 last season. And yeah, more usage would help, but he was already out there for 35 minutes a game. So it's not like he's going to be out there getting more rebounds and more steals and blocks, his time on the floor was sort of already maxed out, mostly. What we could see is, with no Freddie Van Fleet, maybe his usage does go up a little bit. So 13.2 shots, maybe that becomes more like 14. So points per game goes up a tiny bit, threes go up a tiny bit, maybe assists, do they bounce around a little bit? I know we hear all of this point Scotty Barnes stuff, but the real flying leap for him would have to come in the percentages. And until I see that happen... I don't want to get out in front of it. He's not my least favorite play in this round, and maybe I should have announced it in descending order or ascending order, but what I'm doing is kind of like, these are sort of my honorable mentions. So possible bust of the fifth round, Scotty Barnes. Um, I guess, like, he played 77 games, so from a health perspective, he should be all right, and he shouldn't really hurt you too much there, but from a per-game standpoint... I'm not a big fan of what he brings to the table. Alperen Shingun is another player in this round that I'm not a huge fan of for this season. And we've been down this road, and I know I'm going to get yelled at for this one. But you know what? It's just a fantasy take, okay? Don't jump down my throat. Shingun last year was number 83. Actually, right next to Scotty Barnes, believe it or not. Barnes, at least in my eye, has an arrow pointed... That is to say, a player on the Raptors that was a relatively high usage guy is gone. Dennis Schroeder came in, shouldn't quite have the responsibility that Freddie Van Vliet had, some fraction of it, but that's going to leave stuff for others, like Pascal Siakam, like OG Ananobi, like Scotty Barnes. Those guys should be able to benefit in some small way from Van Vliet's departure. Shangun, I would argue has an arrow probably pointed sideways or maybe ever so slightly down. And the reason that I say down is not because I think he's going to get worse. If anything, he should get a little bit better as guys get older. Certainly when they're super young, they should begin to figure things out a little bit about the NBA. And for him, 
the big thing isn't fantasy related. It's reality related. Alperin Shengun has almost no defensive principles installed. Some of that was just innate. Some of it was the situation he was put in last year. And there's all these factors in Houston now. Things that can both work in his favor and against him. And we have to balance all of this in our minds. First of all, let's check a box. He was durable last year. Shengun played in 75 out of 82 ball games. So by totals, he's a pretty decent pick. But I'm talking about per game stuff right now. And so for just focusing on what he was able to do on a night-to-night basis, Kevin Porter Jr. out, extended, legal troubles, we'll leave it at that, because, you know, general ugliness is another way to describe it. He took 15 shots a game, but if you're about to say, oh, well, that's going to benefit everybody else around him, but the aforementioned Freddie Van Vliet is now a rocket, as is Dylan Brooks, who, for all of his warts, is a good defender, and so he's going to be out there on the floor taking things away from other people and hoisting shots because that's what Dylan Brooks does. Ill-advised or otherwise, Dylan Brooks takes shots. Oh, you guys can't even see Shengun's name on your screen, I'm realizing. Sorry, YouTubers. I'm doing you guys a disservice today. Fie on me. I deserve a few thumbs down for this one. So here's the way I, I look at this stuff in my head as you sort of weigh it all out. You know that on this show, uh, Fantasy NBA Today, and anything that I do in the fantasy community, my goal is to try to simplify fantasy sports. First of all, Shangun shot 55% from the field last year. I don't know that that necessarily gets any better. I'm not going to say it gets any worse. Free throw percent for him has been incredibly consistent over his first two seasons. 71% first year, 71.5% the following year. This most recent one. Attempts actually weren't all that different either. We could hope that it goes up, but again, that's all it is. It's a hope. Usage. I would uh, assume that it stays relatively consistent. Because again, one guy out, two guys in. Best case scenario for Shangun is that somehow Freddie Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks basically combine to take just the usage of Kevin Porter Jr. But in all likelihood, they'll probably take from others, like Jalen Green. Rockets also have some very interesting young players, second-year guys like Tari Eason, rookies like Thompson. There's a lot of, I don't want to say mouths to feed, because some of those guys are going to be more usage-prone than others. But it doesn't... Again, let's simplify this down to its down to the very nubs. There isn't a dramatic piece of usage that's available to him this year that wasn't available last year. And in my eyes, all of that stuff is fine. All of that stuff kind of points to an arrow pointed sideways where you could probably just get kind of like a repeat performance. The thing that scares me about Shangun is that he's got a competent backup this year in a way that he just didn't in the past. With all due respect to Usman Garuba and Bruno Fernando, those guys weren't good on both ends of the floor in basketball. Not that Jock Landale is great on the offensive side, but he's serviceable in a way that those guys weren't. And so now the Rockets, who, and this is probably a positive for Shangun, 
are positioned to try to win ball games. So things are going to matter a little bit more. There's going to be better focus. They will have better players on the perimeter this year than last season. Better ball movement, presumably, this season. Better perimeter defense this season. All of those little things should help Shangun in his personal growth. But if you were looking at last year and like, and you thought, oh, Steven Silas is yanking this guy around, wait until you see what Ime Udoka is going to go with, do with him if he's missing defensive assignments. It'll get ugly quick. It was everybody's fault last year. Let's get that out there. Shangun was not alone in making bad defensive decisions. This year, he will be more alone if he doesn't get it fixed. Eason can defend. Jabari Smith Jr. can defend. Jalen Green is sort of the other guy in the starting five where you're like, well, can the defense come around? We don't really know. But Van Vliet can defend. We know Dylan Brooks can defend. So now, where Shangun got the spotlight last year, partially deserved, partially not. This year, if things are going wrong on defense, it's going to fall on him. And so we need him to take a jump forward if he's going to get his per-game numbers to go up. I'm actually kind of worried that his minutes per game go down season over season. He was at 29 last year. I don't think it's going to be 33. Folks are like, oh, he's just going to get unfettered starters minutes. The only way that happens is if he proves to be adequate on the defensive side. And until I see it, I can't trust in it. So it's a trust issue for me on that one. Uh, and then my biggest one on the 9-cat side is probably Julius Randle. But again, that's not really fair. He was 74th in 9-cat last year, and he's durable. I'm just going to leave him out of this thing. He's just not a guy that I'm going to draft in this round in 9-category leagues. But it's just because he's better suited to 8-cat and points formats. It's a It's a format thing, which feels like kind of cheap for me to pick him as a possible bust. Because that only really applies to 9-cat when you are attacking turnovers. Isn't that cheap? That's a little cheap of me. So we'll go with the other ones. I've got a few favorites in this round, though. Um, and we've talked about them over the last few days. By the way, I know you guys all wanted me to say Jordan Poole for one or the other. I actually think that because his ceiling is so high and his floor is so low, you almost can't call him a steal or a bust because he could be both. Aiton's going to be boring. Beal's going to be actually kind of a little bit boring from this juncture. But in my eyes, your steals in this round, not Zach Levine, who's going to probably be right around this mark on a per-game basis, are... you got a couple of centers that should probably beat their mark. You've got Chet Holmgren, who's listed as 53, but he's been going earlier than that in a lot of drafts. And should be fun, but I don't know that you can necessarily call him, like, the steal of the draft. Because he'll be in foul trouble, I would reckon, quite a lot. Could be kind of fun here, but not necessarily a guarantee. Let's call Holmgren an honorable mention, because he should be fun, but I don't know that you can call him, like, the big winner here. The big winners in this round, in my eyes, are Tyrese Maxey, who could potentially be the most fun player to take in this round. Because not only should he beat this mark on a per-game basis... But he has this sort of like infinite potential thing, depending on who's in and who's out in Philadelphia. And there's a little bit of that unknown as well, because we don't know where Harden's going to go and we don't know who's going to come back. Uh, 
Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. But he's just so exciting. There's an excitement factor there that the other possible winners in this one, I don't know that they necessarily have. But let's talk a little bit more about Tyrese Maxey because he was actually down on the 9-cat side, kind of in those other guys we were talking about last year. He was number 77. So is it fair, Dan, you should be asking, for you to be so high on Maxi and low on other guys that really weren't ranked all that far apart from him? Well, the answer is yes in this case because he's a guy in this round whose arrow is firmly pointed up. His minutes don't need to change, but his role is going to. He got 15 shots a game last year. If Harden's not back to run the offense, his usage is going to spike. Way, way up. And for a guy who's good, who's like basically the more shots he takes, the more value he has. There's almost nothing sagging him back. His field goal percent is just slightly sub-average, but for a guard, it's actually pretty good. You'd love to see his assists go up, the points go up, the threes go up, the free throw number goes up, and he's already shooting a nice clip from that point. He's one of those guys. If you're a high percentage, if you're, let's call you an efficient player, more usage is fantastic. If you're an inefficient player, more usage is good, but there's like the tether. Everything that's good about it gets pulled back a little bit by a bad free throw or a bad field goal percent. Maxi doesn't have that. The sky is the limit for him. Now, the limit, I guess, is will he get to one steal per ball game? That's going to sort of max him out. You need to be doing a little bit of something on the defensive side, and, and he's not terrific there. But you could see him go blowing past 60 range into the 50s, into the 40s. 30s is a little bit of a stretch, but I like Maxi a lot in this range. And I also like three players that might fall into more of the boring department. Boring players like Nick Claxton, who has a pre-rank of 56, but finished last year as the number 24th ranked player, largely on the shoulders of hyper-elite blocks and field goal percent, so he doesn't give you the variety pack that some of these other guys do. Also pretty good at rebounding, by the way. But his role shouldn't change all that much. The only way that Claxton's role changes is if the Nets decide to go ultra-small, and then they'll just have no defense. They'll get picked apart like a sieve. They're better when Claxton's out there. His role should stay mostly unchanged. The only thing you look at with him is like, okay, let's hope the block rate stays as high as it did. But we don't even need it to because he was a second rounder last year and he's going in the late fifth. So all you really need is for the blocks not to completely fall off a cliff and you'll have a draft day winner. 
Similarly, with Jared Allen, who finished at 33 last year, his role likely stays about the same also. I'd love it if his block rate came up a tiny bit. It doesn't seem likely to fall much farther, but unless Cleveland changes things in a big, big way or some sort of injury changes things in a big, big way, Jared Allen is the big man there, and Evan Mobley's playing by his side. Why would Allen fall from mid-30s to anything deeper than, like, late 40s, early 50s? So when you look at these guys, you're like, okay, worst-case scenario, they're pretty damn close to where they're getting drafted, and best-case scenario, they can blast past it by two rounds. And I think that's also the case with Jalen Williams, who you guys have heard me kind of hem and haw a little bit about Jalen Williams. Uh, He finished at number 73 on a per-game basis last year. But that was a rank that improved as the season went on a lot because he just got more comfortable. He was a second rounder the last 40 games last year. And for folks that are like, oh, well, will the usage fall off a cliff with him? I mean, there isn't that much farther down it could really go. Percentages, field goal percent could drop for Williams, but he's a great steals guy. They're going to want him out there because he's a big part of their future. I'm just not that worried that Chet Holmgren is going to come in and dramatically impact what Jalen Williams is doing on a basketball court. I think you see some kind of regression type stuff with him, and I don't think that he's someone that's going to coast along as a second rounder this year. But getting drafted very much at the end of the fifth round, early sixth, I think you see Jalen Williams probably fall in the mid-fourth on a per-game basis this year. Maybe he drops as late as early fifth, but he's another guy where you're like, worst case scenario, this guy is probably five, ten slots back of his draft position. It almost doesn't seem like it could get any worse than that. And best case, we saw at the end of last year, he rolls along for two and a half months as a top 25-er. And at the end, he probably falls somewhere in between, which is probably like 45, 50 So those are my likes, those are my dislikes from the Yahoo board. Let's pivot over to the ESPN board. But before we do that, I want to, again, apologize to everybody watching on YouTube. I completely biffed the music stuff at the start of this thing. Uh, Recorded listeners are not getting hit with that, so they got the good stuff. Um, I'm not even going to ask you for a thumbs up because I screwed up the music. So just watch, just enjoy. If you like what you see, please come back, subscribe, watch some of the other videos where I didn't screw up the music quite the same way. And then to those watching on the pod side or listening on the pod side, you guys know the drill. Please rate and review on iTunes or Spotify. Subscriptions and ratings right now, this time of year, can have kind of a snowball effect, and that's a big deal for us. Also, we have some very big news coming at Sports Ethos that I will likely tell you about tomorrow when the great Aaron Bruski comes out of his B-150 creation cave and joins us. On YouTube, on the recorded pod, every channel we've got, uh, for the first of what we're hoping are something like 10 to 12 shows between now and the start of the season, where we'll talk B150, we'll talk fantasy basketball as a big picture thing, we're going to talk what's new at Sports Ethos, we're going to talk about how to handicap a card, news over the offseason, it's going to be really nice to get the big dog back out, back on the show, uh, and we'll cover a lot of really cool stuff with that on tomorrow's episode, and then a whole bunch more with him as we go forward. 
The ESPN board, which I'm trying to fit in the YouTube screen right now, and I think that's probably about as good as it's going to get without me upgrading my technology here. And I will get to that at some point, probably once the season gets into full swing. 49 through 60 is Kristaps Porzingis, Franz Wagner, Jalen Williams, Scotty Barnes, DeAndre Ayton, Josh Giddy, Alperin Shengun, Bradley Beal, OG Ananobi, Jared Allen, Miles Turner, and Derek White. Couple of uh, holdovers here. Um, still not a fan of Shengun. Um, you could maybe talk me into him around 60, but certainly not any earlier than that. And ESPN's got him at 55. Um, Scotty Barnes at 52. Uh, again, you know, Yahoo just had him a little bit right around that same spot. Jalen Williams at 51 probably is not my favorite pick on this board anymore. That's basically an entire round sooner because he was going as the very last pick. Well, he and Shengun, I think, were at the bottom of it on the Yahoo side. And he's right at the front end of the round here on ESPN, wiping out effectively a full round of value. So Williams not a uh, holdover from side to side. Jared Allen is. Miles Turner definitely is. He was like one of my favorite guys going in the late 30s. So obviously, if you can get him in the 50s, holy crap, you've got a value. Kristaps Porzingis at 49 is someone I mentioned on our last, like, steals and bust thing. Um, very much like him at 49. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, also of note, uh, don't really like Derek White at 60. And don't really like Franz Wagner at 50. Not a huge fan of Josh Giddy at 54. I'll tell you, this ESPN board has me a bit more polarized than the Yahoo side. The only guys in here where I'm like, yeah, those guys make sense, are Bradley Beal, uh, DeAndre Ayton kind of makes sense. I guess Jalen Williams sort of makes sense at that spot. Um, and then I suppose OG Ananobi is kind of a deal there as well. So we're going to have to do this one a little bit more lightning roundy because there are simply too many names for me to cover <laughs> for me to cover them all. Uh, but let's go top to bottom here real quick. Kristaps Porzingis at 49. I like it. Uh, he's not going to be a top 15 per game guy in Boston. His usage is going to take a hit. But um, you're still looking at someone with his fantasy profile that should fall within the top 30, probably within the top 25 on a per game basis. But again, we can conservatively say top 30. Um, and going here near 50 means that he really just needs to get into about as many games as he played last year. And you got yourself a value. Franz Wagner... Um, I was not on the, the Wagner hype train last year, and he finished at 106 in 9-cat. And you know, things just keep getting more and more crowded in Orlando. I, I just I don't know how there isn't a, 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 a ton more for him to do from a minutes standpoint. And then ball handling, I don't know that he's going to just wrench it away from Paolo. I, I don't know that France improves by much at all. Like, he strikes me as an, as an 85 to 110 range dude. Maybe I'm way off there, but going at 50, no matter your format, feels very, very early. Uh, Josh Giddy at 54. Uh, he's more of a build guy. You know, we talked about that before. He was number 113 last year. Uh, sort of punt threes, punt free throw type point guard. But if you roll a 9-cat, he doesn't make sense at this early juncture unless you think he's taking a giant leap forward. But the same people that are saying Giddy takes a big leap forward are the people saying that Chet Holmgren is going to impact everybody in OKC. 
Actually, I don't know if it's the same people. It's People are saying all of these things, and they can't all be true, basically. One thing, you can't kind of have it both ways. So if you think Holmgren's going to mess everybody up, then Giddy's probably not about to go jump a long way forward. And if you don't think Holmgren's going to mess everybody up, how much more is Giddy going to get to do with Shea as the main guy and other young guys being slotted in and everybody kind of getting to do a little bit? It just feels like Giddy's going to probably do the same thing. He'll be a good rebounding guard. Very good rebounding guard, actually. Pretty good assist guy. Scores fine, but not spectacular. Steals, we're kind of hoping for more. Field goal percent is fine, but free throw is low, and he doesn't hit three-pointers. Uh, Chengun we've talked about. OG Ananobi at 57 is interesting. I, he's not a guy that I'm targeting in drafts, but again, he was like kind of around 50 range the second half of last year. So even if you think that's the real OG, getting him in the late 50s makes him a pretty good pick. Jared Allen at 58 is uh, a holdover. Miles Turner we already talked about. And then Derek White is the guy I wanted to get a little bit deeper into because we haven't really talked about him yet. He had a great playoffs, and his role in Boston should be better this season because now they've got issues with Malcolm Brogdon. Um Porzingis coming in probably doesn't change it all that much, but Marcus Smart is gone. And we keep hearing about how Jason Tatum's going to have to play more point guard. I mean, look, Derek White will play more point guard. Last 30 games last year, White was right around top 60. He averaged 15 points per game, two threes, four boards, five assists, shot 48% from the field and 89% at the free throw line, which I don't know that that thing sticks. He's one of the best shot-blocking guards in the NBA. I like his fantasy profile. Uh, and I'd like it a lot more if you could get him in the 70s. And so, yeah, I'm splitting hairs a little bit, but when he gets to that juncture at pick at pick 60, you're probably hunting somebody that you think could be top 40 on a per-game basis, and I just don't think there's enough usage in Boston for Derek White to get to top 40. I do think 50, 60 to 70 range makes a lot of sense for him, so if you can get him at the back end of that, cool, but if you got to take him sort of early to middle of that window, I don't think that's panning out for you. Among the names on this ESPN list, which again stretches from Porzingis all the way to Derek White, my favorite play on this board is Miles Turner at 59. That one's an unbelievably easy call. Uh, And my least favorite play is probably Franz Wagner at 50, which is mean because I like Franz. I think he's got a pretty good reality game. I just don't think it translates to fantasy quite the way that we'd wanted it to. And I don't know that that's magically going to fix itself this year. All right. I think that's going to do it for us today. Sorry again about the music, everybody, at the beginning. To those watching live, to those listening, I don't need to apologize to you because the uh, music didn't bother you. Please do give me a follow over on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Again, tomorrow we will have the great... Aaron Bruski back on the pod. Should be a lot of fun. Next week, we're going to talk to Josh Lloyd, get some head-to-head strategy tips from the great Josh Lloyd. We got a couple of really fun ones coming up. We will also get into more picks, more players from beyond pick 60. We're going to be able to move through them a little faster. Guys we don't like, we'll just sort of sweep them to the side. I don't know that I need to do two or three minutes on each of those dudes if I don't like them, but we'll do a little bit more deep diving on guys that we do like in that territory. So you guys will get a better idea of what I'm looking for. We got more mocks coming up. I want to do some mocks out of the number one spot. And I want to do some mocks where you guys start to see how I'm putting pieces together, given this 
Yahoo board, the way it sits right now. We also probably owe a little bit more to the overall ESPN rank board. I know we've been doing it in kind of chunks here, um, but some 30% of you guys are on ESPN, so I don't want to completely ignore them. And uh, that would, of course, be the case right now. Let's do a couple of questions at the end of the show since we managed to knock this thing out in 30 minutes. Um, note from uh, FSF, we'll say here, Udoka's not going to run the same five-out Silas offense, is he? No, probably not. Uh, Shengun is also in a contract year. They need to know what they have in him. Yeah, I, I agree that they, they need to know what they have. Um, I think they kind of also sort of do know what they have in Shengun. Um, hopefully the contract thing inspires him. For some players it does. For other players it doesn't. There really isn't like a universal way to play the, the contract year idea. Um, but one thing that I think we do know about the Rockets is that they want to win this year. I think we can all agree on that one. They brought in sort of winning atmosphere guys. Uh, I know they paid Freddie Van Vliet a lot. He probably would have gone anywhere. They gave him $42 million. But Freddie wants to win. Brooks wants to win. Udoka wants to win. And the young guys that have been playing horribly want to win. So they're going to have to have a little bit of a buy-in thing here. And so that's why I am worried about that defensive side impacting things uh, in, a, in a pretty significant way. Next question. How is Luka an automatic top three pick when he has never finished top 15 in nine cat ever, especially in head-to-head -head when Dallas has a two-game playoff week? Yeah, you know, you make a really good point. He's not a top three pick for me. But the argument for it is one that kind of makes sense, which is basically Luka's a very easy player to build around on the head-to-head -head side because he gives you points threes, boards, assists, and steals. He's effectively very good to great in five categories, and he's pretty good at field goal percent. He is terrible in two. So basically what you've done, and blocks, it's kind of a wash. Half a block is really not bad. You can build around that if you want to. You can make it good, you can make it bad, it doesn't really matter. Basically what he's done is he gives you a firm starting point in six categories, and for head-to-head... -head, that's extremely enviable. The other guys going near the top of the board right now, Jokic, who gives you a very strong position in rebounds, assists, field goal percent. Steals, probably, sort of. And points, eh, but not really. And believe it or not, it's sometimes easier to build around Luka Doncic than it is to build around Nikola Jokic in head-to-head. -head. In Roto, you go Jokic every day of the week. And in Roto, you don't want to throw away two categories with your top three pick the way that you kind of do with Luka. You can, you can choose to not punt the things Luka's bad at. It's just going to take a lot of work. Coming back from his bad turnovers is not that hard. Coming back from Luka's bad free throws is kind of hard because you expect your guards to be the guys to lift you up. When you're looking at centers on the board, you're like, okay, I'll just take a center that has like 77%, but that's still just sort of not hurting you that much. So there's that weird little thing there. Um, but like, this gets into the idea of category punting. If you're punting free throws and turnovers, Luka Doncic was the number three player in fantasy last year, which is sort of what you're doing. There's a weird trust in him that people don't have in Joel Embiid, even though they play the exact same number of games last year. Um, but again, that puts Luka ahead of everybody else on the board, 
for building a team that's very strong in five or six categories and throwing out a couple. That's That works really well in head-to-head. Other guys going near the top. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Stellar at assists and steals and free throw percent. He's very good, but he doesn't take that many. And threes, he's pretty good. Threes, he's good. Field goal percent is decent, kind of like Luka. But again, you're building from a foundation with Halliburton of basically three very good categories. For Roto, it's pretty easy to build around because he doesn't hurt you in a bunch of stuff. You don't have to paper over things that are a mess. But on head-to-head, it's probably easier to build around Luka than it is to build around Halliburton, even though on a strict nine-category board, Luka's behind him. When I play head-to-head... I'm usually not looking at a punt build on draft night. It's usually I'm trying to get really good at a bunch of stuff, and I'll kind of lean into or away from things either later in the draft or later in the season. Punting one thing actually is also totally fine in head-to-head. Like, if you were just punting free throws, okay, and Luka actually makes some sense, and you just take a guy at some point in the second or third round, that's not all that bad at turnovers. So that's why Luca's so high. It's why he's a consensus top three. Um, he's not my favorite guy there because you guys know I typically lean more into the nine-cat roto type of build. But that's why he goes so high in head-to-head leagues and also in points leagues where he's basically number one. Jared says, you still get a thumbs up. Thanks, Jared. Sorry about the music again. Um, JP says, I'm trying to find a player to replace Harrison Barnes, but I don't know who I should grab. Dylan Brooks, Benedict Matherin, B-Ball Paul, Kevon Looney, are any of these players the one to replace Harrison Barnes on my team? Uh, I would say that Paul Reed and Benedict Matherin probably have the could they be something interesting question attached to them. You know what Dylan Brooks is. He's a chucker, and he'll actually be a lot like Harrison Barnes in terms of like, There's no upside. Dylan Brooks is not going to magically be a top 70 dude this year. He's going to be probably in the 130 to 150 range, and he's probably going to play often, and he's going to be terrible field goal percent, and he's going to chuck, and he's not going to get as many steals as his defensive effort would show. And then Kevon Looney's also just going to plod along in that like 120 to 160 range, getting some rebounds and some steals, but really not doing a whole lot else. I'd rather take a shot on Paul Reed or Benedict Matherin. Uh, the Buddy Heald trade stuff means probably more for Matherin, although his stat set isn't that great. So I would probably say Reed is my most interesting. Matherin. Ah, I want the other two. <laughs> Jared says, how do you document all the information received in draft season to get ready for a draft? Do you have a cheat sheet of some kind? Well, the honest-to-goodness truth is once I have my old man squad list, which is really the Dan Vesper's boring team list, I position that up against the Yahoo pre-rank board and ADP information, and I'm just looking at the guys I want, where they typically go, and then I take them where I think I can get them. For me, it's a game, and it should be a game for everybody. But for me, the game is how can I get the greatest number of guys that I want on my team at one time. So it's, who do I take before this other guy? Will this dude get back to me? But my list gets shrunken down a bit uh, by the players that I know are never going to fall to me. And you just, again, it's about simplifying. So I don't have a whole, you know, 150-player rank board written out. I have my guys, which I think the the boring squad list was like 40-ish players last year. And you figure out where they're going. 
and you figure out how early you're willing to take them. And that's how you make your list. Who's going to get back to me? How high will they go? When am I going to take them? Last question for today. If you had to reach for Chet Holmgren, how high are you willing to go? Um, I'd be pretty surprised if he was a top 40 player by totals this year. I would not be that surprised if he got inside the top 40 on a per-game basis. He feels like, you know, you're looking at a situation... Like, think about Walker Kessler last year, and he was bad at free-throw shooting. You know, the final three months last season, Walker Kessler was number 19. You could see Chet Holmgren be... Well, he won't shoot 72% from the field, but he'll be much better at the foul line. Like, you could see Chet as a top 35, 40 per-game guy... And then you're just like, please don't foul out. Please don't snap like a twig in the in this current NBA. Because Walker Kessler's a thick dude. There's a it's a very different body type there. Um Holmgren is the young guy that I'm like, you know what? I might just take a shot on this and say, you know, bleep it. If I can get him in the fourth, I think I'm probably doing it. If and only if. The other guys that I'm targeting in the fourth round are not there on the board. So that's the big, it's a big if, I get it. But like, the guys between 37 and 48 right now, Cat uh, is never there. Um, and DeRozan's starting to go a little earlier. So that's a window where the guys that I liked kind of got pushed forward and back. Vooch got pushed in front of the fourth round. Uh, guys like Kessler and Holmgren and Zach Levine, and Jared Allen, and Nick Claxton, and those guys all got pushed behind the fourth round. So if you're like mid-fourth, and you're thinking, I don't really want this guy. I don't really want the, the you know, I don't want DeMar DeRozan. I want to take a shot. That's where you do it, because in all likelihood, you're going to get somebody good coming back to you in the fifth, like an Allen, or a Claxton, or a Maxi or a Jalen Williams, or whatever. Maybe you don't want to overload on OKC guys. The fourth is a little bit of a vacant spot in Yahoo right now, so maybe you just, you do push just a little bit early and uh and there you go all right ladies and germs we out for today tomorrow the great aaron brewski will join us i think i'll also have a mock i'll try to get it from the one hole tomorrow everybody keeps asking dan what do you do if you have Jokic with the first pick what do i do cheers by the way that was squirt (laughs) that was not liquor All right. Thanks again, everybody. Like, subscribe. You guys know the drill. And uh, hit me up on Twitter if you got any more questions. At Dan Vespers. Talk to you tomorrow.